How's that sound? All right, cool. Recording. All right, dude, Paul. Thank you so much for coming to the show, man. My pleasure. My pleasure. So, so Paul Brinkley on, right? Is your last name? That is correct. You You said it right too. Did I say the first time right? You did. Do people not normally get it right? Uh, Like never. (laughs) (laughs) What did they usually say? Brantleon. It's uh, Brantleon. Like a French. No, they they get the C or they 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 can't butcher it, and then they can't get the last part of it. So. So. All right, so you and I have talked a lot about what you do. I find it very interesting. Um, tell me overview for somebody who has no idea what you do at all whatsoever, even the industry, the fact that it even exists. For somebody like that, <clears throat> tell me what you do. <laughs> okay, so the industry that I'm working is die casting. And die casting is one of the metal forming processes and, it, and it's a near net shape process. So what does that mean? <laughs> well, that means we, when we, when we make a part, it's made to it's almost it's net shape, near net shape. Okay. Okay. So there's a whole lot of different processes in the world to make parts and casting is one of those things. And then within casting is die casting. So die casting is, is where we inject metal under high pressure, high temperature, into a, using a machine into a steel mold. And then we do it over and over and over and over. Okay. So other casting processes are gravity processes like sand casting, permanent mold casting. And specifically the area that I work is in non-ferrous. So we, we do aluminum, zinc, Magnesium. When you say non-ferrous, what does that actually mean? Well, ferrous alloys are metals that are steel or iron-based materials. Non-ferrous are all the other materials. Okay. Because iron and steel have, you know, extremely unique properties mm-hmm. in, in in the world of metallurgy. Aluminum, zinc, magnesium, copper, all those alloys are are cast also, and they can be cast with a whole lot of different processes. So if I was making jewelry, I could cast gold using a spin cast process or an investment cast process. Okay. Okay. And when you make something using investment casting, you make a slurry. So you make a, a, a wax piece of what you want to make. So I make a wax ring, like like a ring you mm-hmm. wear. And, and then I cast a slurry around that. And I cast layer after layer after layer till I get this hard ceramic slurry material. And then I pour metal into that. First off, I melt the plat with the wax out. Mm-hmm. Once I melt the wax out, I can then pour metal like gold or, uh, you know, other precious metals or uh, titanium, those type of things into the investment cast. And I can get that shape. Okay. That's investment casting. You can make, you know, one part with one die. So I make one one die. I can pour it one time. I got to break that apart, and and then you made one part. With die casting, we inject metal. So the metal on aluminum is around twelve hundred and fifty degrees Fahrenheit, and every thirty seconds to a minute, we pour amount aluminum. So we can pour as little as you know a tenth of an ounce, and we can make the inside parts of your locks. So companies like Quickset make- Did that light just turn off? Yeah, this light above me did. 
Oh. A light did. Hang on a second. <laughs> I was like, it just got darker. Continue. Okay, so companies like Quickset, they're a diecast company, and they also manufacture all the locks and and uh, things that you use. Because everything is pretty much diecast that we have. Well, about ninety to ninety-five percent of all materials, all products, have a diecasting in them. Okay, when you so, say diecasting in them, there's just a small component that has that portion die casted? Correct. Okay. So your car has die castings in it. Uh, when you ride on a plane, when you're on a train, when you're, yeah. you know, all those automotive or transportation things, um, your appliances. So your appliances, your washer, your dryer, mm. your stand mixers, they're all, they're all appliances and they're all cast and they have different cast materials. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. So you can have zinc materials, aluminum materials, and then within the aluminum world, well, within all the different alloys, you can have various types of alloys. So I can have aluminum alloys that are very basic, and and they date back to you know the 30s, 40s, when diecasting first started, because it started in like 1911. Like the Industrial Revolution, right? Well, early 1900 is when. Die casting became a, a manufacturing process in the early 1900s. And, and a company called Dolor Jarvis they were the pa- first. patented one of the first die cast machines. Hmm. They weren't the first. Okay. Die castings have been around since about the 1700s. Really? And in, in the 1700s, they made, they die cast typeset and they used tin hmm. as, the, as the material. So, you know, they used to print books, hmm. you know, and they would, they would have the printing press. Hmm. And and those letters, those are all diecast. Were all diecast huh. in the 1700s. That was, it was, I think, it was called a, like a linotype machine. Huh. So those are the first diecast products that were made. Were the letters wow. of of printing presses. Huh. And once again, that was in probably in the 1700s. And then casting kept going along. And then in the 1900s, they developed the actual diecast machine. And with that diecast machine, they then could mass produce or produce parts every three to five minutes. Huh. Okay. And today really small machines can run, you know, 10,000 parts an hour. I mean, they can run a, a phenomenal Jeez. quantity of parts per hour, bigger machines, um, like a 4,000, 6,000 ton diecast machine will make a part every five minutes. Oh, so wow. Tesla's making parts right now. And, and they're casting the entire rear end of a car. Mm. And and uh, so they've got the ability to cast a 200-pound die casting. Now, that so that, that portion that you're talking about there where they're, they're die casting an entire section of a car, that hasn't been done before, right? Tesla just started doing that they're about a year ago. the first ones. To do the entire rear end. Yeah. But bigger car parts were being done already okay. in, in uh, 3,000 and 4,000 ton Diecast machines. Okay. So engine blocks. Those are all diecasting? They are now. They're all aluminum diecast. And those are structural alloys. 
Those are specific alloys depending on which company is casting those. So Chrysler, Ford, um, GM, and, and then all the transplants all have a die cast engine block. Huh. So your engine block is aluminum inside your, and then inside the rings are all steel and they actually insert those into the mold or they press them in after the uh, engine block's been made. Wow. So your role in all this is like a troubleshooter. You, you go and fix things right across the nation. Am I right? Well, that's one of the roles. Okay. Is So my main role, so I work for the North American Diecast Association. Okay. Okay. And our job as an association is we have member companies that make up NADCA, the North American Diecasting Association. Okay. And my job is research. So I'm, I'm the dir- I love that. <laughs> director of research, education, and technology. Fancy so, title. Fancy title. <laughs> fancy title. So, so it boils down to I work with a lot of universities, <clears throat> and I uh, assist or oversee or manage the research that they're doing. They're the smart ones in the room. I mean, sometimes you don't. You got to know who's the smartest guy in the room. Every time I talk to you, I just and, feel so, so stupid. I mean, like, okay, alloy, okay, iron, okay, fe. Oh, oh, I'm like, what the heck is going? Every time, it, it, I have to like really, really focus on what you're saying. And that's like, especially with I don't know if it's just the engineering fields, um, but I just feel so stupid. Well, <laughs> but it's good for me. You shouldn't. I mean, it, it's good for me to kind of hear these things and really have to focus on what you're saying. Well, die casting in general, I mean, it's, it's just not understood in the, in, in the yeah. general populace. And Pe- it's everywhere. It's one of those things that's everywhere. It's everywhere. Yeah. I mean, you got an ice cream scoop and it's probably aluminum. It was a die casting made huh. probably in China. <laughs> <laughs> if, if you got, uh, you know, certain nutcrackers uh, are all die castings. Um, Everything. I mean, they're, there's so many parts that are just die castings that we use every day that we don't even realize it. Now, that's uh, China. Things have been weird with China. How's that affected your industry? Well, um, the tariffs kind of, you know, un- under the p- past administration, uh-huh. um, we didn't know how this was all going to go because the tariffs components, they tariff the aluminum, they tariff dye materials, all these steels that affect our industry. Um, overall, I think we're managing through it. I don't want to say it's good and I don't want to say it's bad. Mm. I think it's a thing that we're dealing with. Mm. Um, in, in some instances within our industry, uh, it, it's not helping the industry. And in other areas, it is helping the industry. Really? So, well, because it's, it's giving a competitive advantage to some U.S. companies mm. and other U.S. companies are feeling a competitive disadvantage. Mm. So once again, saying tariffs are good or tariffs are bad, that's not our role. Our role is to say, how do we manage through this mm. and, and deal with the good and the bad to make the industry prosper and flourish? Hmm. So my main role is going to be research. And I, I work with all these companies who are doing all the research. And then I work with, uh, I, NADCA does its own research. So I, I work myself on my own projects and uh, primarily with castings and looking at the mechanical properties of different castings and different casting alloys. Okay. So we're looking at those. And then we also uh, do a lot of stuff with steel, steel components. That's new. And you told me that before with the new steel alloy die casting. Well, yeah, that's a, that's a brand new project that we're working on. And that would be die casting steel 
So I mentioned earlier, mm -hmm. non-ferrous, mm -hmm. we're now pushing the edge. So aluminum uh, is right around 1,250 degrees Fahrenheit. Zinc is 800 degrees Fahrenheit. Magnesium, right around 1,200 to 1,250. And, and, and copper is right around 2,000 degrees. On, on on melting it? or that's, that's the casting temperature. Okay. When we cast it, that's the temperature of the molten material. Okay. Steel is going to be, uh, you know, 2,500 to 3,500 degrees, depending on which right. alloy we're working with. So whole new realm. Yeah. Just going up 500 to 1,000 degrees <sighs> means that the materials we were using to make the molds may not be sufficient. So we... Huh. We may not be able to use, because today we use steel molds. Yeah. They're made of different alloy materials called tool steels. And that's what we cast the parts into. Okay. So every 30 seconds to, to three minutes, a mold opens up and a part comes out. Okay. And then the mold closes up and more metal is injected in. Okay. And then it opens, it solidifies, and, and that continues on. But when we're doing steel... Uh, our issue is going to be casting a material, a steel material, in a steel mold and making sure that the whole thing doesn't mm -hmm. weld together, that this, the thing can be reproducible, and we can get thousands and thousands of parts out of it. Mm. That That's the advantage of die casting over other casting processes. And you being the director of research for all this, you're really having to like try and figure out this new unpaved road. You're paving the way for this new idea, right? We are. It, yeah. We are. So we're we're working with uh, groups that are, are helping us fund it. And then I'm working with universities. Once again, they're the brain trust. Uh, University of Alabama, mm. University of Colorado School of Mines. Uh, these are the brain trusts where, where they're working on the materials, the coatings, the process. How are we going to melt the metal? Because with aluminum, we can melt it and hold it. But with steel... You know, we want to be able to melt it on demand. We want to be able to melt it exactly the, the correct amount every time we need it. So we're not holding molten steel and, huh. and using all that energy to yeah. hold it. So we're working on on-demand systems. And then that's being done at uh, like the University of Alabama. So what? how does that, How break to me down how that would work. Break to me down. Break it down to me how that would work, like practically. To well, someone who's kind of just dumb on this on this field. Okay, so in the in the in the current processes, we have what we call breakdown furnaces. So we buy secondary materials first off. Okay, aluminum is probably the, the one of the most recycled materials out there. We, we've all heard about you know plastic floating in the ocean and mm. that kind of stuff. Well, aluminum materials typically don't go to landfills. You know, they all go to recycle. So whether it's your aluminum cans or your aluminum parts or cars and other automotives that are uh, other other items that are uh, going into the waste stream, those are dismantled, the materials are separated, and, and then the aluminum alloys are remelted. Okay. So when I make aluminum from scratch, I make it out of material called bauxite. Bauxite? Bauxite. What's that? I haven't heard of that. Bauxite is a, min is a material, a, min a mineral in the earth. That is dug up, and that's where the aluminum comes from. Really? So aluminum, so I got to dig the bauxite. So I went to a bauxite mine and a, and a aluminum, we call it a, a um, primary alloy. So primary alloys are alloys that come out of the ground, get made into an alloy, and they've never been cast into anything else. Hmm. So primary aluminums come from bauxite. The bauxite goes into a 
smelting operation where they're using uh, high electricity hmm. to separate the aluminum from the bauxite. So it's kind of funny. Uh, have you ever played Minecraft? Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. So oh, you know, yeah. it's, it's, it's kind of, I'm, I'm thinking, okay, if I need to get these iron ingots, I got to go through like a smelting process. Absolutely. So I'm, I'm just thinking of Minecraft. Okay, boxes. Got it. <laughs> yeah, that, that's exactly right. You, you got to smelt it. That's funny. Okay, so when, when we make it from virgin and we make primary alloy, it costs us a lot of money because it takes a lot of electricity to make that from bauxite to aluminum. Huh. Okay. But when I have the aluminum already, so I've already made it, I've already made it into one part and now it's used, you know, lived its life and now it's being recycled. That aluminum gets recycled and it only takes 30% of the energy to remelt it and make it into something else. Oh. So you save 70% of the energy by not using primary alloys. Hmm. And aluminum is constantly recycled. Hmm. So when, when that happens, we lose one to, to 5% of that into what we call dross. Dross? Dross. That's, that's like D-R-O-S-S? D-R-O-S-S. Huh. So I, I, I lose it. So I have a pound of aluminum. It was uh, a car part, and I'm now going to scrap it out, remelt it, and make it into something else. And I melt that pound. I lose 3 to 5% or 1% to 5% of that. It goes into the scrap heap and goes into the huh. trash. So 95 to 98% of that gets remelted and gets made into a new car part okay. or a new you know, component. Yeah. So my point is aluminum is extremely recyclable. So people don't just sit on aluminum alloys. It all goes to recycling. People are paying for the, for the scrap materials and yeah. then it's being recycled and die casters, okay. casters in general, but die casters, uh, what I work with, they are recycling that, taking secondary alloys, parts that have already been made multiple times. Mm. They've had multiple lifetimes and they're recasting that into all new parts. Now, does those do those new parts get weaker? Nope. No, same strength or better? Same strength and the, the strength of the alloy really depends on the cleanliness of the material. Okay. So we have ways... Yeah. Uh, we call you told it, me about this. We call it fluxing. Mm -hmm. we, we call it injection, you know, flux injection methods. Uh, we used uh, nitrogen and argon to degas the materials. So we have ways to clean the material to make sure we have as pure aluminum alloy as we can get. Mm. And then we cast it into new parts. Um, a while back, you are telling me how, like with car doors, how or the, the, the shell of a car, um, there's something that hap happens whenever you die cast something that there's a lot of imperfections and there's a way to make something less imperfect to make it more stronger or more strong. Is that right? Well, there are new alloys that are out there just in the last 10, 15 years that are called structural alloys mm -hmm. and structural alloys are alloys that are cast aluminum alloys that are cast, um, into a structural part and they have a higher strength, higher elongation. Like than a, standard alloys. Was it uh, not tenacity? Sort of the tensile. Tensile. Yeah. The tensile strength of tensile the material. <laughs> yeah. So we have tensile. I'm to sound smart here. So tenacity. When, when we're dealing with mechanical properties, we're dealing with the tensile yield and elongation primarily. Okay. We also have to have fatigue strength and impact toughness and other properties of materials. Mm -hmm. But when when we're gonna, just going to talk right off the cuff, we're going to say. What are the mechanicals? We're going to say, what's the tensile yield and elongation of that material? And, and that's going to give us some of the mechanical properties 
of an aluminum, zinc, uh, magnesium material. And some of the research that you were doing, correct me if I'm wrong, it was trying to make sure that those things are stronger. So like I'm 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 looking at all the all the things you're saying. I'm trying to figure out, okay, how is that practical to what I know today? And car door parts and safety and, and getting in car wrecks, those are some of the things that are applicable to what you're doing. Am I right? Oh, absolutely. Why? So as as aluminum parts uh peripherate, I didn't say that correctly either. <laughs> As so dumb, God. yeah, I know. <laughs> as aluminum parts, as we as we make more aluminum parts, and and they become um, more used in in different applications. So in the past, structural parts on the on the car were all made of steel. In the last fifteen years, a lot of these parts are now made of aluminum. Now, whenever it was originally made from steel, was that at the same time where like steering wheels were? And be getting impaled into people's chest because they're so strong. Well, steering wheels were all made of steel, also. Yeah, and and today they're all made of, you know, either zinc or uh, aluminum, and then they're coated, you know, with the whatever the leather material is mm-hmm. that's on them. Um, Why they switch? Well, steel because we want to make the car lighter. Aluminum oh, is two right. and a half times lighter. That's right. So so I, mean, I don't know what the statistic is. But for every pound you can take out of the car, that equates to so many miles per gallon that you as a consumer get. Hmm. So you're going to take a car that, you know, and I want to say this, when my parents were young, the cars were, you know, 10, 15 miles of the gallon. The Model T's, right? And they didn't care. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The Model T's. That's exactly right. <laughs> Sorry. You kind of you lined that one up. I did. <laughs> I did. And you hit it hard. <laughs> I mean, at this point, for every, every the the scale that we're going in, in making these cars lighter, we're just going to start flying at, at 60 miles an hour because of how light they are. Or we'll be able to make up and pick up cars soon. I mean, it's just, I mean, am I right? Cause the, they're making them lighter. Extremely absolutely. lighter. Yeah. And they've got to have better materials. So the, some of the aluminum projects that I worked on in the last two years was on aluminum um, composite materials. So, so we're looking at putting materials into the aluminum alloy, into a molten aluminum, to make the whole aluminum stronger. Okay. Okay. So these are uh, that's back to the metal chinsels. matrix composites. Metal matrix. Metal matrix composites. Okay. So these type of materials isn't is an area that's being worked on. Um, I don't want to say there's been great success, but there has been some successes, and they're working on making the aluminum stronger. By putting materials into the aluminum. So I'm going to say like putting needles into molten aluminum. And then the whole thing solidifies with the needles in it. Hmm. And it then becomes stronger than it was. But wouldn't if, it, if you add something like needles or more mass, wouldn't that make it heavier? It makes it heavier, but it's stronger than it was. It's, it's not anywhere near as heavy as steel, mm-hmm. but it could be, you know, near the strength of steel. Hmm. So, you know, as we're, we're trying to die cast parts... Uh, we're trying to make the aluminum alloys by changing the chemistry stronger, have more elongation. Elongation is critical in a crash. So we want the we want elongation the, of what? It's called the elongation of the materials. Remember, there's yeah. there's tensile yield and elongation. I don't remember. I'm, you said that. I know you did. Three. <laughs> when you say remember, I'm like, ah, I don't. I'm okay. just going to keep well, asking. <laughs> so, so that's three mechanical properties okay. of an aluminum alloy of of mechanic of materials 
not just aluminum. Okay. Of materials. Overall. Tensile yield elongation. If something has high elongation, <laughs> that means um, I can bend it and it'll bend back. Okay. okay. So when I start bending a, a part, like a hanger, a coat hanger, mm -hmm. if I just take the coat hanger and I flick it my, with my finger, it just kind of vibrates. doesn't really change shape. But if I grab it and I twist it a little bit and I let go of it, it stays. That's plastic deformation. Hmm. Okay. So with, with materials that have higher elongations, they're going to spring back. And in a car crash, they're going to just bend. Nothing's going to snap. Nothing's going to fly around. Hmm. You know, so you want it to bend and stay. We want it to bend and not break. Hmm. So that's one of the major properties of these structural alloys that are being made is that they bend and they don't break. So they have elongations hmm. of... 10 to 14 to 17 and you, percent. And you don't want them to go back. You want them to bend and just kind of bend stay. and stay. Okay. Cause well, I think about like, uh, like children's bones, they, they're very pliable. Same thing. Like they'll, you can bend a, a kid's bones like this, but they're always going to go back. That's why like, as you get older that your bones become way more rigid and easier to break. That's why old people always break all their yes, bones. Okay. Yes. <laughs> we shouldn't probably say that, but that's what happens. <laughs> well, that's exactly why kids can do a lot more and it'd be typically totally fine. Right. It's the same thing, but the difference is that, you know, these bones are pliable and that they do go back or kids just be walking around with like, you know, bones that are just like, <laughs> okay. Very interesting. So how does that work? I know you've said a lot about the composites and strength and there, there has, I've actually about this before. There has to be some sort of component with a lot of uh, like defense contracts and, uh, armor plating and, um, uh, weapons in in the military and specifically with the steel stuff that y'all are doing tell me a little bit about that well there are applications and one of the great advantages is you know if we can perfect this steel casting is current casting processes for steel are all gravity processes so that means i have a mold i have this bucket of molten steel i pour it in by gravity and and it fills up the mold and then the part, you know, solidifies eventually and I break the mold apart and I get my part out. But when you do that, those parts are what we call, they're, they're castings, but they have very thick walls, you know, and, and they don't, it they're not. Like a lot more time consuming too. It is, but they're also not near net shape. Remember that? Mm, I remember that one. I don't remember what it meant. <laughs> well, near net shape means it's, it's very close to its shape. Okay. So one of the advantage we see in die casting steel is that we can make thinner walls. We can have fast solidification rates. So when we talk about material solidifying, you and I talked about it uh, several weeks ago, the grain structure changes. Mm -hmm. So when I solidify a material rapidly, I get very fine grain structure. Mm -hmm. Fine grain structure is typically stronger than a larger grain structure. Okay. Okay. So, can you, so take that example and put it like practically. So a grain structure is something that would be easy for me to understand. <laughs> so... Um, Silicon being used for solar panels. Okay. Typical solar panels, the silicon that is uh, being grown that makes the panel are made of single grain components, a single grain that's grown very large. Okay. Okay. And, and that's to help the solar when I think panel of grain. Work. I think of like a, like a sand granule. Correct. But that's now, it just continues to grow okay. and get bigger and bigger. So a single one and just, keeps, and okay. it just, okay. I don't understand the process, but but that's an example okay. of of grain growth. 
Okay, when we see things microscopically and we look at grain growth of a material, we can see that when it solidifies, if it solidifies slowly, the grains grow and then they stop growing as it becomes solid. Okay. And other grains grow. But but then they have to do post, what we call post-processing to it. And they have to heat treat it to refine that grain structure. But with die casting, we get a very fine grain structure when we make the part. Mm. Because the uh, the materials solidify rapidly. Mm. So if I was doing a the same casting, I got a pound of aluminum, I'm going to make it into a pound part, and I'm going to do it as a gravity process. And you know what? It's going to take 20, 15, 20 minutes to solidify. And I'm going to take that, take that same pound of aluminum, and I'm going to make it using a die cast process, and it's going to solidify in about 15 seconds. Jeez. Okay? We call that the dwell time. And the dwell can go as little as eight seconds and as, and as high as like 15 or 20 seconds. I have a lot of dwell times. Do you have a dwell time? Mine's are like hours long though. <laughs> I'm like, wait, what just happened? <laughs> I was thinking about something and then just kind of popped off. Continue. So, so we, <clears throat> now, now we have to re, regather ourselves <laughs> again. Like, yeah. Speaking of dwell time. <laughs> but, but when we have that little, that really small dwell time and the materials solidify rapidly, they get that fine grain structure. Okay. And that fine grain structure is what's going to give us good mechanical properties. And so when I make a die casting, I don't have to take and heat treat it. I've already got the finished properties when the part comes out of the mold. Hmm. Whereas that part that I did on a gravity process, mm-hmm. I usually have to do a T6 or a T7 heat treat to it. So I have to do post-processing, add more cost to it. Mm-hmm. And then I have to machine it because it's not near net shape. Mm. It's not doesn't have the thin walls and and the, the small draft yeah. requirements, small draft ability yeah. that die casting does. Man, so steels. One of the things we want to do with steels is cast the parts and be able to cast thin wall steel. Mm. And if we could do that, we could then compete directly with parts that are being made today in steel. Make them lighter and make them out of steel. Make them lighter than they're being made today. Lighter than aluminum. Not lighter than aluminum. No. Remember, steel has yeah. a density. And that's what I was kind of curious. Two and a half times of aluminum. Yeah, but it would, would it be comparable? Because that's a big. Like, could you have? Could you go with this type of die casting? It's still very strong. Um, it's it's still light. But could you go back to something like making out of, making cars out of it, or is that just not? We could be making car, car components out of steel still, and making making those steel parts lighter, and having the same functionality. Huh. One of the other things we can do. Is if we can perfect this, what we're going, what we're calling this is high temperature die casting, because we're casting in that you know three thousand degree range mm-hmm. versus twelve hundred degree range, and I'm talking about Fahrenheit. And if we can get the high temperature die casting to work and work consistently, we can take it to other alloys like titanium. Mm. So titanium has seventy percent of the strength of steel, but it only has you know, one and a half times the density. Do you hear that clicking? There's a click in there. Yeah, is it? Um, I think it's your phone. It's either phone or your computer. Sometimes it gets... Computer's off. Sometimes it gets close to this for some reason and it starts clicking. I don't know why. It's super weird. I was, I, every time I got to put my phone on the ground, oh my gosh. <sighs> okay, <sighs> so, so now there's no more clicking, right? No more clicking. All right. Supposedly. It could be my iPad too. <laughs> So we can take this and now perfect steel casting, move it into titanium casting and other alloys like that. So now 
we can now make car parts significantly lighter and keep the same strength or very similar strength by casting titanium versus casting steel. So it's going to be crazy. much stronger than aluminum. It's going to be heavier than aluminum. It's going to be nearly as strong as steel, but much lighter than steel. So this industry is multi-billion dollar industry. Am I right? If not, I think, yeah, it, it does probably 3 billion. I don't know the I exact mean, number. I mean, to, to have but, that type of sway in, in literally all of the world where you're, you're making these type of die cast parts in every country, pretty much um, on mass scale, specifically in first world countries, it seems like there could be a lot of like corporate espionage type thing. <laughs> I mean, have you ever heard of like weird stuff like that happening? Well, every diecaster has secrets. Oh. I want to say that every diecaster on the planet has a secret. <laughs> what does that mean? Well, I, I, I mean, don't have to tell me the secrets, but I, well, so every give me context <laughs> diecasters. Die um, first off, when, when they show when they do a plant tour and they let people in to see their plants, uh, a lot of them will, will hide their secrets. And I want to say this from you know in, in an honest statement or earnestly that every time I go to a diecaster and I've been into hundreds, I see some unique aspect that nobody else is doing, you know? Hmm. And, and I want to say that that's their secret sauce for, for making their process competitive with everybody else. Hmm. So every diecaster does it a little different, but you know what? At the end of the day, we're all solidifying materials in a mold, you know, under uh, fast solidification and, and we're, made, we're running a fast process. So the processes are very similar, but there are different unique differences amongst every diecaster and they hold that stuff very secret. Hmm. That's what's kind of curious. I was kind of like, if, if you were like walking in somewhere and you're talking to somebody, there's just kind of something that just kind of made your spine crawl. Never like that or? Well, I, I want to say there, there's been safety concerns <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> when, when I've gone into some places and I'll see some stuff that they're doing and I go, oh, that's not good. <laughs> Give me an example. Um, I, I've, I've been into uh, a couple of diecasters and it's been several years ago, many years ago that they were running with the doors open and, and no safeties on the machines. So these machines are large. Okay. Even the small machines are large. Like how large? Um, well, a small machine is, is about the size of this table. Okay. Okay. And we would call that a, a 20 ton to hundred ton diecast machine. Like how tall? Uh, you know, maybe about four and a half feet tall. Okay. And then the, the largest machine I've personally been around is a 4,400 ton machine. Jeez. And, and that machine, you could put a pickup truck inside the machine. That's probably because it makes pickup trucks. It makes pickup truck parts. <laughs> yeah. and, and so the largest machines on the planet today are 6,000 to 10,000 ton machines. They're three stories tall. Three stories? Stories. Like three houses tall, yeah. Oh three stories tall. You know, they're, they're 40, 50 feet long. What do those make? They make car parts, bigger ones. <laughs> They make houses. <laughs> they, make, they make big car parts. Can you die cast a house? Uh, I'm no, I don't no. know. I don't know. He can. I don't um, know, man. You do, you do everything else. Like, why not a house? I because I, I don't think that you can have a machine that big. But what if you made a machine that big? Oh, you could cast the walls. Oh, you could. Yeah, cast the walls, cast the roof, cast the even the part of the foundation. You could cast pieces of the roof and then bolt it all together. You can make a tiny home. Out of a die cast. <laughs> I mean, literally, because those tiny homes are 399 square feet. Yeah, Foots. they are. Foot. Foots. <laughs> yes, they are. That would actually, hmm. 
That would be very, it, it would put a lot of people out of business. Honestly, it would, it would change an industry. So why not? Because most, uh, most of the time they don't uh, focus on, you know, casting one-offs. If you're going to cast a wall, you're going to do it with a gravity process. Okay. So, but if you're going to do it time and time again, you'd meet a very large die cast machine. But you just said there's one three stories tall. There is. There's there's a 6,000 so, ton. I mean, this that, wall right here is only what, 15 feet? Well, that wall, okay, so we just, if we do the math. and Please then, do the math. Okay, so it's 15 <laughs> feet by eight feet, right? I'm going to pick my phone up. <laughs> You're actually going to measure it? No, There's an engineer for you. I'm not. <laughs> 18.6 by 8.9. <laughs> what you Googling? I'm not Googling anything. Oh, you are calculating. I, I am. <laughs> give, give, me a, give me a second. Okay, okay so that, that wall is, is 17,280 square inches. Okay. When we deal with die castings and we want to decide what size machine can make this laptop, by the way, these are die castings. The the frames of the frames of your of your laptop inside is a, is a typically a magnesium die casting. But we want to know how big a machine can make this or how big a machine can make that wall. We have to know how many square inches it is. Okay. So that wall is 17,280 square inches. Give or take. Okay, so we're so it's probably not give or take, but continue. Okay, so if we have to, um, we have to know the square area because that's what the machine has to stay. stay mm -hmm. It has to stay shut mm -hmm. while we're injecting metal into it because we're injecting the metal at high velocity. The metal is being injected at upwards of um, 180 to, to 250 inches per second. Okay, think of shooting a bow and an arrow, and, and the arrow goes at 200 inches a second. So we're injecting mm. the metal at 250 inches a second, faster than mm. an arrow out of a quiver, out of your bow, out of your compound bow. Okay, so we, we have a compound bow? What, That'd be you, cool. If we had one, yeah. Can I do like actually like a long bow? Long bows are better for me. Well, but they, they can't shoot very fast. Um, you, know, you don't know me. <laughs> <laughs> I could actually do it pretty fast. I've never shot a bow in my life, but uh, whatever. <laughs> So we have to inject the metal into the machine and the machine's got to stay shut. If it doesn't stay shut, then we, we call it spitting and it spits the machine to the roof. Sounds fun. So you said, you know, what do I see when I walk into die cast companies? One of the first things I do is I look at the ceiling because if I look up there and I see stalactites <laughs> hanging up there. So those are, that's, that's molten aluminum that is shot up there and stuck and it oh sticks gosh. and it sticks and it just grows. And, and so that seems like a waste too. Well, it, it is. They're they're wasting the the ability of the machine. They're losing pressure. Uh, they're not controlling their quality. There's a lot of issues with that. But it's also a safety hazard because if it falls, it's gonna hurt somebody. <laughs> yeah. So, but but we call that spitting. Okay. okay? So we got to be able to hold the machine shut. Okay. So if we're gonna if this is seventeen thousand two hundred eighty square inches, and and we're gonna cast that at five tons per square inch, we need need an 86,000 ton die cast machine to cast that wall. That's okay. at five tons per square that's, inch. That's a small wall too. Okay. <laughs> I, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to say I'm only going to cast it at two tons per square inch. So now I need a 34,000 ton die cast machine. The biggest one is how much? 10,000 tons. Oh, the biggest wow. one on the planet today. Is only 10,000? The, the biggest ones in production right now 
are 6,100 tons. And the ones that are going into production are eight and 9,000 tons. And there's 10,000 tons being built. Biggest ones ever built. These machines, you know, are three, four stories tall. They're massive and they're brand new. That's the latest in technology. Is there a way to make this machine smaller? Make the diecast machine? The machine's smaller. So if, if, okay, I'm trying to think about this here. Probably a dumb idea. But if the diecast machines are all about trying to make, you know, the alloys better and, um, manufacturing make it make everybody money for better products right that's kind of the whole point of diecast machines why not find out if there's a way to make the diecast machines um more mobile so to speak or more small um making bigger products like so why not scale the diecast machines to do everything diecasting to where you diecast walls and you diecast roofs and you do all that stuff i understand you need it at current today's current state with the size of these machines it's not plausible. You're looking at one that's, you know, 10 times the size of what the biggest one is now to diecast this small wall. But is that a possibility? Okay. So what we're dealing with is, is physics now. Hey, physics. And, and that's the, why I'm asking. I'm and more the physics, of a like theory. Okay, here's okay. an idea. <laughs> but, but the physics of, of, of diecasting is when we inject metal, so force, fundamental principle, Force equals mass times acceleration. Yeah, I think about when I'm pooping. Do, same do thing. you? Same <laughs> do thing. you? Yeah. I had one early. It was bad, dude. And you mass were thinking about acceleration. You were, you were thinking about FMA. Force <laughs> equals mass times acceleration. There was force there. I'll tell you what. Okay. Continue. So, so if if I have a, a force that I'm going to exert on on the diecast machine, like the diecast the diecast okay. machine has to has to exert an equal and opposite force. To keep the machine closed. And was that Newton's third law? I don't know if it's Newton's I think third it's law. Newton's third, every, uh, every, that's every action. Is equal, equal opposite reaction. Correct. Okay. So that's, that's so similar. So poop goes out, then poop has to come in. No. No? Okay. <laughs> no, we don't, we don't want that to happen. I'm just, I'm trying to like equate what I know. And I know pooping very well. And okay. sometimes that takes force. It takes a lot of force sometimes, especially when you're eating the way I eat. Which is a terrible thing. And that's because of the mass that's coming out. Mass. Yes, sir. <laughs> See? If you had less mass, the force and mass have equate by the uh, acceleration that it takes. And that's why I have to clean my toilet a lot. Yes, you do. Okay, so now practically looking at <laughs> making these type of diecast machines. So in, in the real world with the physics, we're going to inject that metal under high velocity, under high force. Okay. And the machine has to keep the machine closed. Otherwise, all the aluminum spits out like toothpaste and lands on the ceiling. Too much pressure. Too much pressure. Okay. Okay. And if I can't keep the machine shut, I have the machine opens up. We call it spitting. It spits and the, the aluminum or whatever material we're casting goes everywhere. Okay. All right. So we need to be able to keep that shut. So casting this wall, we would need an extremely large diecast machine doable yes is it physically doable today no because we don't have a machine we don't have a thirty-four thousand ton diecast so, machine so do bigger machines mean uh better capability of handling pressure absolutely okay absolutely because they they have to generate the the negative force or the, the closing force to keep the machine shut to be able to make these bigger castings so would it be economically viable 
to have something like a say say one day there is a big machine that can actually cast you know large parts of a house is it worth your return on your investment i bet it is and and, so? and i think so i think that if you had asked me this question you know 15 years ago you know the biggest machine 15 years ago was probably a 2500 ton machine so we've already almost tripled or actually we have tripled the size of the machine in 15 years yeah so in 15 well, years we could triple it Absolutely. We, we could go to 30,000 ton diecast machines casting things that, you know, we can't even imagine mm. casting the, you know, the components of, of, of aircraft and, you know, complete sidewalls or complete cars. <laughs> so Tesla put a patent out fall of 2019. Oh, and, before COVID. Yep. And they patented a machine that's made up of multiple machines. So they have like five and I'm gonna I'm gonna say six thousand ton machines all combined into one machine, casting an entire vehicle mm. at one time. So why not do that just more? Like why not get those three story machines and well, put them all together? That, that's where that's where they're going, and I think they're huh. they're they're starting with these machines today, but they're going to start building bigger and bigger because the economics are, is this. So I mentioned Ooh, I like the pointer finger. Yeah, yeah. you like that. Here's, <laughs> <All chante. laughs> here's the economics when. When Tesla cast this rear end of this vehicle, they they took 180 individual parts and made it into one. Hmm. Those 180 parts to put them together took 150,000 square foot building. So they had a, a manufacturing space of 150,000 square feet that they were using to put this 180. It wasn't, I'm sorry, it wasn't 180. I misspoke. I think it was 79. 79 parts, individual parts, that make this rear end. They're now casting it into one part, and they had a 150,000 square foot facility putting these 79 parts together. So what did they save? They not only saved the the manufacturing time that it takes to put 79 different parts together Mm. to make one piece, they saved that floor space. So a huge manufacturing savings by not having to assemble not having the manpower, not having, you know, the space required to do it. So to answer your question, economically, if they can make bigger and bigger machines to reduce. So think of how many parts make an entire car, Mm. your size car sitting out in the driveway. Okay. How many parts make that? And I can now make that entire thing in five minutes. Jeez. Five minutes. I can make the entire internal structure. Yeah. Not, not all the, you know, the hood and the the doors, but I can make the structure of the whole vehicle in five minutes. Is there an electrical component that can actually be die-casted? Like, so imagine, um, is there a way to do that same thing for not only the molds for these die-cast cars, and, but also all the electrical side, the... Uh, the electronics? Yeah, but also, because I, I guess that's what's... Okay, so do you, do you have a griddle in your house? You know, I think so. Like a griddle, you know, you you make pancakes on. Yeah, well, we do it off off of like a pan. But okay, yeah. but you ever you ever seen one of those electric ones? Yeah. Okay, do you know those are die, die castings, oh. and and that whole internal heating element is die cast inside the the die cast part. Ah, how does that work? So, so do they die cast them the the outside first and then put the die cast insides? They, they make the element, because those are usually steel. They make the heating element. They put it into a diecast machine and they cast all the aluminum around it. And huh. that makes your griddles. So can you do that with a car? You could. 
You could actually, huh. in fact, the some of the latest technology out there right now are sensors that can withstand 1,200 to 1,500 degrees Fahrenheit. Oh, geez. So we can actually put these sensors in molten metal what? and they survive. What? So, See, I'm not that smart, but I got ideas. <laughs> well, this technology is only a, you know, a handful of years old and we are proposing new projects right now using these type of sensors to learn more about how metals solidify and how we can improve the solidification rate of materials, huh. how we can thermally balance dyes, how we can thermally control the tools, making parts better, faster, cheaper, mm. lighter. And, and so if we understand more, we can now learn more and do more. And these type of sensors, three years ago, they didn't exist. Today, Jeez. they do. Are you seeing a and, lot of uh, advancement with AI in your industry? We are. Uh, industry 4.0 is what we call it. And it is the advent of machines that are learning how to make better parts. Hmm. So the machines themselves oh, are wow. getting smarter. So they now have the ability to know, hey, I just made a good part and I'm making parts, making parts. Oops, I made a bad one because I'm doing 100% check. For and then it. it learns from its mistakes. Yeah. And it said, oh, when I made that, here's my parameters that made that part. I got to not do that again. And I got to make them this way. That's exactly what they did with that. Uh, what's that hardest game? It's it's uh, the most complex game in the world. It's more like way harder than chess. You know what I'm talking about? I don't. It's not Catan, is it? <laughs> I'm just checking. I hate that game. Oh my gosh, I hate that game. Every time I hang out with people, Molly's like, hey, let's play some Catan. No, I'm so sick of it. Sorry, hot button topic. <laughs> I see that. I mean, obviously for you too. You said Catan like it was a bad thing. Well, Catan's just, just a wicked game. It's, <laughs> Why is it wicked for you? Well, because you you know you can do the same thing in game one that you did in game three, and, and you got smoked in game three. <laughs> you know, whether you didn't get the resources, whether it all just kind of went haywire. Yeah, I, I could, feel you. The, the first time I learned how to play Catan, it was it was my wife and then our our friends were hanging out with, and they're like, yeah, it's a really fun game. Let's show you how to play, and they, they're like, oh, we'll just do a practice or we'll let's just play, and then I'll kind of show you as we go along. I was like, okay, cool. That's that's how I like to learn. So I, I put my guy in the middle or whatever, and uh, I was like, why why are y'all building roads around me? Like why y'all coming? <laughs> Apparently, like you're. That's how you you really screw somebody over. Absolutely. So at the very beginning, I had I was boxed in. I had one resource, and you know what it was? Wheat. 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 <laughs> Not by itself. You, well, come on, you can man. trade. That's it. But it was one. I was probably off. with a two. Too. So it kind of put it kind of put a bad taste in my mouth for the yeah. rest of the games moving forward. Yeah. Because of that one thing, like yeah, this is how you lose. Oh, okay. <laughs> I can do that. So Catan, uh, hardest game in the world. Not Catan. Okay, so I don't know what it is. Uh, can you Google that for me? Oh, that's going to bug me. It's, of course, I think it was made in Asia. <laughs> that's really going to bug me. See that phone? Tell you what. It is that phone. <clears throat> it's like way harder than chess. Tom Clancy, Super Mario. <laughs> That's what it said. That's what Google came up with. 
called Go. So Go. Isn't that a card game? Uh, not not that one. Not sorry. <laughs> Hang on. So apparently it it has more interactions and permutations than there are atoms in the universe or something like that. Like so many different combinations. So chess has like you know. Di- thousands if not millions of different combinations i could be exaggerated there but it has a lot of combinations on how you can win and stuff like that well go is uh tenfold as far as how many different combinations that you can uh play and that's what makes it so hard because i've actually never played it but point being is that a at there they they made an ai bot that it can now beat the world's greatest master based on that same idea Okay. They are watching him play, and then at every interaction, they run through all the combinations. The AI uh, bot runs through all the combinations and then learns from it and then eventually learn how to beat him. And so now there's literally an artificial intelligence algorithm that can beat the hardest grandmaster of Go and and chess. Okay. I was kind of curious on if if there is a a component like that in your industry because we're seeing that a lot. We're seeing how, and we hear about that a lot as well. We we stopped hearing about it during the COVID pandemic because everybody was talking about COVID. Um, but we're seeing how AI is really taking over multiple industries. And I didn't know if that was kind of similar for you guys. It's definitely being implemented into the industry. It is, uh, you know, we have industry 4.0, you know, workshops, and everybody is working towards that. All the suppliers, so the guys that are making the diecast machines, making all the other ancillary, ancillary equipment that goes into a diecast cell, they're all trying to integrate into a 4.0 strategy. Mm-hmm. So everything will talk to everything. Everything will, you know, be smart enough to learn event eventually, and then, you know, learning is is making those decisions without a person making that decision. Hmm. So. With a lot of these changes that are occurring with, uh, you said three years ago, you're not doing electronic parts, um, with AI, with, um, the difference, the differences that are happening with steel alloys. Are you seeing any pushback going back to like corporate espionage for somebody who, who actually is heavily invested in a lot of these, uh, ideas from the past and all this change that is occurring? Are you seeing people who are pushing back because something that they don't want? Is there anything weird going on there? Well, I- there are companies. So when I talk about diecasting companies, I talk about companies in an A, B, and C fashion. So the C diecasters are you, the guys. Pa- the, pause there for a second. I was like, well, the C, finish here. <laughs> the C diecasters are the diecasters that you're talking about. They're they're the diecasters that, um, you know, they've been making the same part for 45 years, and they're happy making that part, and they they make money. They go home every week. They come back to work on Monday and they make those parts the same way. Okay. And they're still making the same parts they've been making for 40 years. Hmm. So they don't want to change. They don't want all the automation. Their equipment is still from the sixties and seventies in Hmm. the sense of it doesn't have a whole lot of computer component to it or PLCs. So those are your C die casters. They're not good. They're not bad. They make a good quality casting, but they just don't invest in technology to make castings that you know are, are pushing the limits of an industry. Mm. Then you have the B die casters. B die casters are the guys that are making new parts and they're striving to become better and they are, you know, making safety enhancements and 
They, they are making things better. Uh, they are investing in, in their equipment. But you know what? They're doing it at a slower pace. And, and once again, good die casters making quality products. But they're, they're you know, they're pushing the... They're just pushing along. They're, they're, <laughs> yeah, they're, they're, yeah. They're not, they're not going to, you know, break any, any stride records. Yeah. Then you got your A die casters. Those are the guys that, that are out there pushing the limits. They're doing a lot of research. They're buying some of the Slater's equipment that I just talked mm. about. Okay. They're making structural components. They're making they new, work in tuxedos new alloys. Like they don't work in tuxedos. Yeah, I'm sure they do. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm sure their management works in a tuxedo, <laughs> but, but they, they are pushing the edge. And, and they're trying to make better alloys, lighter parts, huh. and, and they're, they're climbing into new markets. So I mentioned structural castings. 15 years ago, the body components were all made of steel. Today, a lot of those body components are made of aluminum. Hmm. Okay. These, the, the A die casters are the guys that are making those parts. And now they, there's a possibility it could be going back to some steel components. They could. But way better. Better. Yeah, thinner, mm. better, better structural parts, better steel components, die cast parts. So they're actually cheaper because mm. I can make them faster. Mm. Remember, it's better, faster, yeah. cheaper. So I so. stop saying remember because I'm like, wait, <laughs> did I remember? <laughs> I feel like I'm in it's, high school it's a, again. It's a test. <laughs> it's a test. So, you know, as we talk about the casting market and we talk about those guys that are entrenched into making the same thing they always did. Your C die casters, yeah, they're not going to climb out of that. Their mm. their their companies are going to stay there, you know, till till someday either somebody younger takes them over and then takes them in a new direction, or the company eventually just you know through attrition folds and mm. and, and goes away. So, but they're good companies and they're making good parts. Good parts we use every day. Yeah. Um, what's the craziest thing that you could see happening with the die cast industry? Like. Building like crazy, like building a house type of crazy. Like, could you see what's for you personally seeing where it's come from and seeing some of the possibilities that it could be? What are those possibilities? I see us, you know, expanding into markets that other people said we couldn't get into. For example, um, more military parts, uh, which like are tanks. Well, like components mm-hmm. that that can withstand an impact of a bullet. Okay. Hmm. Aluminums don't do well in those areas. So steel wood. Well, steel wood, but maybe an aluminum matrix, metal matrix composite wood. Hmm. Okay. So, so when you're saying aluminum metal matrix composite, you're saying some sort of mix with aluminum that would make a new composite or a correct. New, new alloy. New material huh. that could be body armor that a person could wear that's lighter than steel. So I don't have to wear this steel armor. Yeah. But I'm going to be able to take an impact of a shell. I think of Call of Duty. I think of a steel place that you put in. Yeah. Have you played Call of Duty? Yep, I have. Okay. Yeah. Yep. They're heavy. I can feel it on my controller. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, you know, getting into new materials, getting into, into areas where um, in the past, traditionally, die castings haven't been used. Hmm. Okay. When people thought of die castings 25, 30 years ago, you know, it was this metal material that was like all this air and trapped in it. You know, so it was just a skin of aluminum around air. And because hmm. the aluminum castings were not really good yeah. back, back in the 60s and 70s. Okay. But today, you know, those aluminum parts have very little porosity, very little defects. 
and, and they're controlled and, and, you know, much better castings. Where we can go with newer technologies, better materials, you know, we could go into areas that die castings have never been in before. Where is what area specific area would that you would like to see that happen? You personally, I want to see us cast materials that have never been cast steel, titanium. That's what I want to see because that's going to open up markets that, uh, because titanium can only be cast in a vacuum. So when I melt titanium, if I melt it in open air, like in this room, it starts to spark and then it will eventually, you know, start to explode. Really? Because it has. Uh, molten titanium is highly reactive with everything. Really? Mm-hmm. So it can only be cast in a vacuum. So how do you, uh, like what's the temperature that to, to melt titanium? Uh, right around that 3000 degrees Fahrenheit. So like thermite. Well, like steel. Well, therm- well thermite burns at like 3000 degrees Fahrenheit. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I don't know that. So I Googled it one day. <laughs> did you? Okay. <laughs> I tried right. to make it. It was, b- it was a bad idea. <laughs> I did try to make it, and uh, you can like same thing. You can with thermite, you, it melts pretty much anything. You can burn through a engine block like nothing. Okay, you can make thermite. Well, that's because it's aluminum, <laughs> and it only melts at twelve hundred and fifty degrees. <laughs> exactly. It just kind of show how how good I am at this topic. I'm just letting you know, like, <laughs> like yeah, I'm gonna be cool and talk about things I know. Thermite, yeah, I'm retarded. <laughs> <laughs> That's because of lumen, stupid. <sighs> titanium. That's interesting, though. I didn't know that that you can when when titanium is melted down, if it is reactive or if it's exposed to air, it'll explode. Yeah. So hmm. titanium currently is investment cast primarily, and it's investment cast in a vacuum. Did you tell me about investment cast earlier? Yes. Investment cast is when we talked about the ring. Yes. Like yes. The, okay. you know, we make a wax part. Then we put a slurry, yeah, yeah. A, a ceramic material around it, and we make take this wax part. Once we get the slurry built up, so we mm-hmm. slurry it, let it dry, slurry, let it dry. Then we melt the wax out, and then we pour molten metal inside that That's right. mold. That's called investment casting. Gotcha. Okay. And so titanium is the same way. Titanium is investment cast today, and they do it with plastic. So they, they make plastic parts. They do the slurry. And then they melt the plastic or wax out of there. Then they pour the titanium in. Hmm. But they do it all under a vacuum. So can die casting in the future do these type of melting in a vacuum fully? It like can. with large, large parts. It can. It can. So I mentioned like on-demand melting. Uh-huh. So we can melt large amounts of material. And we can take all that material, put it in a vacuum right on the shot end of the machine. And then melt it, drop it into a, what we call a chamber, and that's it's then injected into the into the machine. Dang. And it's all been done in a vacuum. So is that possible? Very possible. <laughs> and would we be able to cast titanium? We would. Because now with titanium, you've got a lighter material, very strong materials, and 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 frankly, you're now, you know, playing with the big boys when you're talking about titanium parts Jeez. and aerospace parts. Um, yeah, are, are planes uh, ca- die cast? No, but the the seats and the chairs and the tray tables, all those components mm-hmm. that are inside the tray table that you fold down, those are all die castings. Your seat, your seat legs, those are all hmm. die cast. Why not the exterior? Of uh, the, the too, part of too the, big. 
primarily because the the, <clears throat> the sheeting yeah, is not going to be conducive to the diecast process. I still want to see a whole house diecasters like spit it up a whole house. That'd be freaking awesome. Paul, thanks, man. Uh, anything else you want to express regarding your industry or your job? I think I think it's super interesting. It's something I, I don't know really. Nobody really ever knows about. Um, and so I like learning about it. I'm terrible at learning about it, <laughs> but I try because <laughs> it's it's different and something I don't know. Well, so as we wrap up, is there anything else you kind of want to want to share about what you do? No, I, you know I think I, I enjoy what I do. Yeah, I enjoy the I research side and uh, seeing the professors work, seeing these researchers work in in their own fields. I mean, uh, I mean I knew of materials that could sublime when when something when sublimation takes place, it's like dry ice. So if I have a piece of dry ice, it goes from solid to gaseous. Mm-hmm. So seeing a piece of material do that earlier this year, a piece of, of uh, metal do that. So mm-hmm. I was pretty, pretty shocked when we were heat treating this material and we heated it up to 900 degrees Fahrenheit and it sublimed. It completely evaporated. What? Exactly. I know. That's cool stuff. You know, my point is, is you see stuff that you really didn't expect to see. And I didn't even know that was possible. It is possible. Is there is there a purpose for that, or just it was no? An that <laughs> no, it was on accident. It was. But it was we we were studying the materials and we were heating them up in a furnace, and the researcher that was doing the work, um, he, he started checking the materials, uh, and then he he let them go twenty four hours, and then he would let it go 40, 48 hours at a higher temperature. He came back and sample number three was gone. What? And he walked in and went, whoa. And and that's when he's going <laughs> metal so, inside his lungs. So I said, "Where did it go?" Well, this particular furnace had a had a uh, a fan system that sucked all the material out, huh. and more than likely, it sublimed and then re-solidified inside the uh, uh, the the filter system in this particular furnace. It's probably what happened. We never tracked it down, but point is, is to watch something like that happen. It's amazing, and and. You know, that's really cool stuff uh, huh. when you see it in, in reality, when you're working on a project. Dude, it again, every time I talk to you, I learn from I learn something from you, especially when I'm trying really hard to understand what you're talking about. <laughs> I'm like, okay, if I was a five-year-old, how would I kind of break what he just said down? That's why I'm like always asking you the same question because I'm trying because it's, it's fascinating. And it's something I want to learn more about because it's everywhere. Diecasting is everywhere. It is. It seems like every time we talk, I'm like, hey. What do you think about this? Or what are you doing now? <laughs> what did you do last week? What research project are you on? What well, yep. can you not tell me that you can tell me now? <laughs> yep. All right, man. Thanks very much. All right. Bye.